You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right, let's grab a seat. Um, Just to let you in on a little secret. There's no point behind this. It's just for my own entertainment, but I've been intentionally shaking everyone left-handed today. Um, Some of you know this now, but it's really interesting how it throws everyone off just a little bit. Even some left-handers got thrown off. So uh, if you ever want a game to play, there you go. Um, Hey, I felt really strong in worship. Um, Thankfully, just the presence of the Lord. Um, And I wanted to say I'm so thankful that we're a church that will always um, abandon agenda to sit with His and to sit in moments. Um, and create space just for the Lord to be. Uh, our greatest success as believers is to just be with Him. That's the ultimate target. That's the ultimate prize. Amen. Um, so maybe just for a minute, I want to linger there before we dive into a message. Um, I'd rather just take a moment and just make sure that we fully dive into Him. And so, Father, I just embrace you this morning. God, even as Stephen was sharing this morning, there's this beautiful thing that happens when we just get to sit and take you in. And God, I don't want us to do anything quote church related that's outside of this moment with you outside of this present awareness that you are who you are and that you are with us and so we just say thank you God Thank you for being who you are and being where you are, which is right here in this space. Mm. Mm. Amen. I don't know about you. I tend to be rebellious. So like when I catch moments where the Lord is just sitting um, with us very, Strongly, does anybody else feel the presence of the Lord this morning? Um, it just makes me like want to rebel against everything, just throw everything out the window. I don't feel like the Lord's saying do that necessarily this morning, but just know that I really, really want to. And it could still happen. So, um, Exodus chapter number seventeen. I want to um, dive into a topic today, maybe that will be a little challenging, maybe not. Um, I'll probably give several disclaimers. I think the season that we're in um, is really important that we're cultivating, that we're tilling the soil. And when I say that, um, there's beautiful things that are in our soil that I think the more you till, the more it's prepared for seed and things that God wants to do. And so as we till things, they're not corrective, uh, necessarily corrective statements. They're just tilling the ground of what's already here. So I don't think this would be a disruptive message, but I'm just giving the disclaimer. It could be challenging, but please hear my heart 
and just hear me out, okay? Amen? Um, And if at any point you get offended, forgive me, because the Bible says you have to. So, (laughs) Exodus 17, 3 through 6. It says, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Kind of funny. You know, he's like, hey, they're going to stone me. Awesome. Here's what I want you to go stand out in front of them so they can hit you better. Um, Take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take, your, uh, take in your ha- hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Long story short, he struck the rock as the Lord commanded. Water flowed. The people were satisfied. Now that kind of satisfaction doesn't last forever because they would get thirsty again, but they were satisfied for the time being until they were thirsty again. This is a moment, okay? And it's one of many moments that, especially Moses, but many others in the Scripture and even ourselves this morning, it's one of many moments that we encounter with the Lord that are really pivotal moments in our journey as it pertains to our faith, but more importantly, as it pertains to knowing Him. And so often our relationship with the Father is made up of these little tiny Moments where he does significant and massive things that alter seemingly everything. And I do thank God for these moments. Right? This was a moment that probably Moses wouldn't be super unfamiliar with. It was a different uh, setting, a different scenario, but it was a common thing. Hey, God, I need you. Could you help? God shows up, and he does what he does. Now, Moses has some history with the Lord, especially when it comes to going and getting your staff. Like he said in the text, you've struck the Nile. I mean, he's parted seas. Like Moses has seen enough of these moments that when God wants to do a moment, he's probably pretty comfortable with it, right? Why? Because his journey's been about these moments. Here's one of the beautiful things that Moses had the capacity to do, though, is Moses had this capacity um, most of the time, maybe not all the time, to build his journey around relationship with the Lord, not just the moments. I'm going to read on where Moses kind of butchers it later, Numbers 20. Someone's laughing because they probably already know where we're going here. Numbers 20. Different scenario, different time. Same Moses, same people. Now there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here. Now, again, I just want to point out the fact that we can easily go into complaint mode, even though God's done it before. It's funny how we can cycle back through and be complaining about the exact same thing as if he had never done anything. Let's keep reading. Why did you bring us out to die in the wilderness, our livestock too? Verse 5. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain, figs, grapevines, pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting, and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff. Familiar scene, familiar uh, kind of history here, different moment. 
Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock. Everybody say, speak. 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 Where my word of faith people at. This is your verse. Speak to that rock. Before they rise, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Now Moses is obviously a little bit frustrated. He's calling people names. Listen, you rebels. We must, uh, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, and he struck. Say struck. He struck the rock twice with his staff. Here's an interesting part. Water gushed out. So God said, speak. Moses decided to strike. Water came out. And the community, community and their livestock drank. Everybody say satisfied. They're satisfied again. At least for the moment. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. I want to use this passage just to paint a picture uh, more for just our context. And it's a little bit maybe heavy-handed that Moses is leading the people. He's taking all the hits and he's doing all these things. And he comes to this moment where um, one moment of disobedience seemingly gets him kicked out of the promised land. And uh, thanks be to God, he gets to see Jesus face-to-face later so that we know he found the real promised land anyway. So Moses is fine. And God is still nice. Okay, just remember God's not a jerk. He saw something bigger than Moses. But one of the challenges we face, and maybe this is what Moses was navigating, is so often, even when there's beautiful moments, we tend to make the moment the whole model. And when we make the whole moment the whole model, or make the moment the whole model, we're either excluding what he's called us into, we're missing part of who he is, or stunting our own growth and development as the children of God. Okay? There's multiple things I think that happen. I'm going to unpack this um, quickly this morning. Um, but one of the things that happens when we make a moment the model is we start to have authority issues. Okay? Now, this isn't one of those like. <laughs> Uh, I, I have this book. I'll, some of you have seen it if you've been to our house for dinner because it's my joke, but now I can't use it anymore because I'm telling you. Um, but it's called Jezebel Go to Hell. And it's, it's basically some pastor wrote this book about authority issues so that he could control people. It's obvious what the book's about. So when I say authority issues, I'm not that guy. That's not what we're talking about. Um, but when we make the moment a model, it definitely starts to cause authority issues. I'm going to give you some examples. This is where I might challenge us, but please hear my heart. And I'm going to give you this disclaimer right off the bat. I love the move of God. Amen. You with me? I love the spirit of God. I love the presence of God. I love the gifts. I love the manifestations. I love when God shows up. I love the speaking in tongues. I love the prophetic. I love when things get weird even. I love the times when everyone's just laying in the floor and we don't know why. Like, I love that. Here's the thing, though. These are moments. These are moments. Moses is having a moment, right? But what he's done is he's in a new moment with God, but he's trying to repeat the old moment with God as the model. And instead of speaking and doing something new, 
He's making the model of the old moment saying, I've done this before. I know how to do this. I'm going to strike the rock. See, staff speaks of authority. So the very thing that Moses is using, he's using in disobedience to the Lord. Can I tell you... um, That when it comes to being believers, and this is true in this passage, Moses actually didn't have authority. It was borrowed from the Lord. It was on loan, right? Even as believers this morning, we have authority, like I get when we say that, but also we have to remember it's actually not ours, right? Uh, In fact, real authority doesn't come from a template. It comes from a transfer. It's something that is given. Uh, Let me read a passage in the gospel just so we can see this. It's a time that authority was borrowed. Luke 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us. So he had sent 72 out with authority. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample snakes and scorpions. So it's something that was given. It belongs to him. But he's given it to them, right? And so they come back with a report and they're all excited because they've seen signs and wonders. They've seen moments, right? With his authority, but they've seen moments. He says, uh, uh, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, verse 20, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't, Rejoice over the moment and don't get fixed on the thing. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. What does that mean? That he knows you and you know him. That's the target. That's the model. In in borrowed authority, they go out, they're excited, they see stuff, they come back and they're like, whoa. And probably some of them are like, man, I am like on fire today. (sighs) Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen God do something and you prayed a certain way and it happened and then you tried to do it again and it didn't happen? Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Why? Because sometimes these are moments, not models. And if we don't uh, distinguish between the two, it's easy to carry ourselves into a position where we think we own the authority. And this is actually what the authority issues are. Here's what happens when we take authority into our own hand. Um, I said this a few weeks ago, and I thought it was funny. I don't think you did, but I did, so I'm going to say it again. When we take authority in our own hand, instead of functioning as sons, we function as wizards. Right? Because if, I, if I'm under this humil- uh, humility place of, hey, this is his authority, not mine, and I'm just this vessel, and I just can't believe that he even sent me out with this kind of stuff going on, um, versus, hey, I'm anointed. God's anointed me. You know how we pep talk our Christian self in the mirror and get all excited and jacked up and start shooting people with our wands. <laughs> start commanding things. We say, man, we speak to this mountain, move, and we just speak to stuff all the time until our face is blue because we think the mountain should move. But authority wasn't supposed to function according to you, but according to his will. And we've got to determine, are we functioning according to his will or my want? Right? And here's how we get trapped there, because somewhere we saw God do it a certain way. It was a beautiful moment. It was a powerful moment. But instead of speaking this time, we decided to keep striking, because that's what we know to do. 
right? Um, I told some friends a story this week, and it was a, a moment that changed my life. Um, and this was probably, I don't know, 18, 19 years ago. I was, I was kind of in ministry, but I didn't know, like kind of being groomed for ministry by default doing it, but I didn't know that, like I didn't have language. Um, and I remember being in front of the church, one of the early messages I ever gave, and I'm terrified, just like terrified. But I was also in this season with the Lord of just like developing the prophetic and learning to hear his voice and learning how to respond to it. And so in that season, I was also even very timid, but very extreme. So if I felt like God was speaking, I was going for it. Right. Why? Because he gave me the power and you got to use the power. Right. And I read a book somewhere that, hey, if you get a word, you got to release that word or it's going to hinder someone's breakthrough. And I don't want to be that guy. So I'm in this season where if you get a word, you've got to give the word. And I'm standing in front of the church one morning, small church, super quiet. And I'm not giving a message yet. I'm just kind of listening to the Lord in a very awkward way. And I get this prophetic word for someone at the church. And if you're teaching a prophetic class, it's, it's one of the moments that are just a no-no. You don't do these kind of prophetic words. Well, I didn't go to prophetic class, so I had no excuse and no boundaries. So in my mind, I'm like, I gotta, I just got. Not only do I gotta give this word, but I gotta like say it in front of everybody, right? Oh, it's awesome. And I'm like, God, I got, I gotta give this word. And as soon as I go to, I felt the Lord just kind of grip me and say, No, you can't, you can't give this word. Now, because I've had enough moments with the Lord where I've given a word and it was good and saw God move. Now, because I've had a moment, I'm making the moment a model and now God's speaking, but I'm calling him the enemy. Because how would God give me a word and then block it from flowing? So I'm standing there, I'm having this conversation with the Lord. God, I've got to give this word. And it's like, no, you can't. I'm like, enemy, get behind me, you know. And I'm like wrestling in this weird, awkward moment church is looking at me like what in the world is he doing like many of you were doing now that was funny (laughs) thank you and probably three times i'm sitting here with the lord saying god i got to give this word and finally after the third time i felt the lord say you cannot give this word to this person i said okay i said okay Now, here's what happens. No exaggeration. The second I say okay to the Lord, this girl that the word was for flies out of her chair 20 feet across the room, like out of a movie scene, starts screaming. Um, Long story short, gets just massively set free that morning. Um, I never did give the word to her. I had some ladies of the church pray for her and... um, she got set free, which was amazing. But I realized that day that when it comes to the prophetic, when it comes to any measure of authority that we're given, any glimpse into his world that we get to borrow in this one, our greatest responsibility isn't to own it. It's actually to give it back to him. In my submission of what I thought I was called to control and release and this staff that I felt like God had given me to do whatever I want or give to this girl it was actually in the surrender of it that she got set free 
And what I realized that day is it wasn't about her freedom as much as it was mine. She got set free, but at the same time, so did I. And I realized that day that these moments we have with the Lord are never the model. And when we make the moment the model, we trap ourselves in it having, having to be a certain way or look like a certain thing. And we get stuck and we start to impose our will and our authority on the world around us. When often it's not even his will, it's just our want. Hmm. Have you ever been... Maybe this is you, maybe you've been around it. This is the part I would say might be a little challenging, but hear my heart. Have you ever been around just extreme uh, word of faith people who, you know, especially kind of came out of the 60s, the 70s, got touched, it was legit, it was good. But it became a strong model. And what you'll notice about this is if you cough, you better hide and don't cough in front of them. You definitely don't want to walk in and say, hey, I'm fighting a cold. What are they going to say? Somebody help me. What would they say? No, no, no. They say, don't you speak it. You can't say that. Like you just come and say, oh, I don't feel great today. Shut up. Don't you dare. Don't you dare own that thing. Now, here's what I want to say, and this is my disclaimer. There's actually some truth to that. Uh, especially as a young generation, we cannot afford to throw out the baby with the bathwater and leave ancient ways of faith and uh, holy things and anointed things and things that God does, does empower us for just because it was out of whack or out of balance. Just because someone else made the moment the model doesn't mean that there's not still moments. There's still places that God's moving. God's still parting waters. He's still raising dead. He's still opening blind eyes. He's still healing hearts. Like God's still very much in the moments. So we can't let someone else's unhealthy model of one moment destroy our faith. Amen? But everybody knows that kind of climate because when we take authority into our own hands, what we start to do, um, and this is what happens when we make the moment the model, we start to follow formula instead of formation. That's why I say authority doesn't come in a template, it comes in a transfer. We start to follow the formula, we try to get all the little steps right, and we try to get all the little um, uh, quirks of how to get, quote, breakthrough just right. And here's the problem with that style of faith and deliverance, um, is it makes us responsible instead of him. See, Moses wasn't responsible for the, for the water or the miracle or the rock. Moses was responsible for getting his staff and striking or using his voice to speak. He wasn't actually responsible for the miracle. And when we swerve into the lane of false authority, we think we're actually, uh, help me Jesus, we think we're, <laughs> this, this is true, but it's, you know, we, we squeeze this so hard right to make it something that it's not. We think that we are the anointed one. And when we have that mindset, we're responsible for the outcome. And when you're responsible for the outcome, here's where it gets really shady and starts to be uh, counterculture to the gospel and to the kingdom and starts to promote shame and condemnation. Is when you're responsible, you have to start to explain when it doesn't happen. Right? 
Why? Because he, I can give you testimonies of the time I got to pray for somebody and they got a supernatural miracle, got healed. But I can give you uh, probably 500 to that one of times we prayed and it didn't happen. Now, which one do I build my theology on? Which one do I build the model on? Let me put it that way. Which moment, the 500 moments that I uh, don't know what happened there because I'm anointed, or the one where it did? If I build it on the one that did, then I've got to copy and paste and explain why the 500 others didn't. If I build it on the 500, then I'm now of no faith and don't even believe God for anything more and don't even try because heart, my heart is sick with disappointment. Neither one is the model. They were just moments. But if I take this moment and make it the model, then here's what happens is when someone doesn't get healed, and you've probably heard this language before, we have to start to explain why. And it usually goes something like this. Well, there was sin in your life. Well, you did not have enough faith. Which is funny because Jesus said mustard seed faith was enough, so that's kind of stupid. Or uh, you just didn't pray the right way or you didn't plead the blood over. You got the doors, but maybe not the windowsills. And that's where Leviathan got in. That's where they snuck in on you because you forgot to anoint that one. I don't even bite you, but like when I talk about this stuff, I just get exhausted. Why? Because there's, there's, there's not a big difference between witchcraft and Christian. Christian witchcraft, we just got Jesus' name on it. But the church has more potion casting, spell casting, conjuring, uh, than we realize we condemn the world for it, but we're doing it in our own layer of faith, saying, hey, get these ten things right, and if it doesn't happen, it's because your mom sinned, because your dad blew a bubble. I don't know. We just make stuff up. <laughs> Why? Because we, we don't realize we've taken the authority, and now we feel responsible. I'll tell you a story, and this is why this is important to challenge this morning. Um, I had a friend one time who was very much in this kind of deliverance zone. Legit move of God, powerful moment, life was changed forever, but she made those moments everything. And so instead of growing, she just copy and pasted. And she goes, and she's seen miracles, she'd pray for people, they got healed, and sometimes they didn't. But she was very much in the zone of explaining to them why they didn't. Which is always encouraging. To be on the receiving end of. And she goes one day. Um, she inv- actually invited me to come. And I couldn't go. Um, but she goes one day to pray for this 18 year old. Who was in the hospital. Uh, more than likely passing away without a miracle. And she goes and she prays for this young man. And the mother's there. And um, heartbreaking story. He, he doesn't make it. Now, she goes full of faith, seen moments, excited, you know, anointed, doing the, the, whole, the whole thing. Like, she is, she's there. She's going to heal this kid. She's prophesied it. He doesn't make it. But rather than leave that heartbreak in the mystery of God, she's built herself in a way that she's responsible And so she comes to me and starts to explain to me why the son didn't make it. 
And he didn't make it according to her because the mother was in the room and the mother did not believe enough and she was disrupting the atmosphere. And she was on her way later that day to tell this mother why she had just lost her child. See, this is important that we handle the things of the Lord with a sober mind and not foolishly. Because if you want to make someone suicidal real quick, go tell them it's their fault their kid died in the name of Jesus. Thankfully, I talked her out of that. But that's where that stuff leads us. When we're responsible, we start to have to explain why you didn't get the breakthrough. And it sends us down this path of constantly chasing things and tricks and little plays to try and get breakthrough in our lives. Meanwhile, Jesus is the breakthrough. He is the model. It will never come through a formula, through some spell that we've conjured up from from. Five Bible verses, dot, dot, dot. Now, again, disclaimer, does it happen that way sometimes? Sure. Sure, sometimes God will say, hey, do this, go speak, go strike through. Absolutely, he still does that, and that certainly happens. It just doesn't happen every time, right? But if we make the one time the model for every time, We're going to be stuck in this environment where we're always trying to get breakthrough by doing the 10 steps and we're going to be exhausted and burned out and worn out. And the whole time it was him that was the model. It was him that was our breakthrough. It's important that when God does something beautiful and powerful that we don't replace that moment for him. This relationship is everything, right? Another thing it does, this is encouraging, isn't it? Another thing it does. If we make the moment the model, we will miss knowing him and settle for knowing about him. You know what's tricky about this passage? Moses is told to speak to the rock. And again, there's history here. So when he gets the staff, he kind of he knows what to do with the staff. He's struck things before. He's parted waters before. He's caused plagues with this thing. So this is like his authority. You know, like this, he knows what to do. But this time God says, speak. He doesn't speak. He strikes. But even though he doesn't do it the way God told him to do it, here's what's crazy. Water comes gushing, the Bible says. Comes gushing from the rock. I bet Moses thought he crushed it. Ah, Probably put another notch on the staff of the miracle countdown. Probably stretched a little bit. Probably twirled it. So, yeah, drink up, you peasants. Behold my glory. That's probably what, he, that's what I would have felt. I mean, he didn't do it the way God told him to do it. He didn't meet God the way that God asked him to meet him. But nevertheless, the miracle came, shows up. 
people were satisfied. You know, one of the mistakes we make when we make the moment the model, and this is how we get trapped there. We think because he came that time, that way, we assume that's how he wanted to come. We assume that the way he met us is the way he will meet us. The way that he did it, or the way that I did it, and it worked, is the way that he's always going to do it. And if we stop there, then we'll miss him. Great example. God met them through the law, but he's, his plan was always Jesus. Right? God met them in this way, but the plan was always a Messiah. But because they knew God in this way or knew about God in this way, the Messiah comes and they don't recognize what he's doing. They're still striking a rock and don't see the speaking God. Why? Because they've built everything around the moment but couldn't grow past the moment to realize the model wasn't a formula, wasn't on tablets of law. It wasn't something that we do. It was a person that is himself. And you know why it was hard for them to see Jesus? Because it didn't look like the moment. The Father loves you. He's loving people, washing sinners. I mean, like, hanging out with sinners, like, washing disciples' feet. Like, that doesn't look like the moment. (laughs) That doesn't look like judgment in the wilderness. That doesn't look like the God that we know. And here is the real God that they really don't know showing up. Because when we make the moment the model, it's actually the very thing that keeps us from seeing him in all the layers that he is. Because we think God's only going to meet us this way. And the evidence is water came out of the rock. It works. Just because God was gracious enough to gift us a miracle does not mean that we stumbled upon the right formula. Because what we do when we think that is we start to copy and paste that bad boy, write a book about it, or we tell everyone else you got to do it this way and water's going to come. And then they come and say, hey, the water's not coming out of the rock today. Like, okay, well, right back to the responsibility. Do you have sin in your life? Do you have enough faith? Are you using kosher salt or table salt? And it becomes this endless pursuit of chasing the right way. But the Bible says that he is the way. We're never going to figure out the right formula for Christianity. We're never going to find the right formula for faith. At best, every once in a while, we get it the wrong way and he shows up and does a miracle anyway. The mistake we'll make is we think that's how he's going to do it all the time. But it was never about the miracle or the moment. It was about him. Let's keep reading. Or keep talking, rather. Let me read this passage really quick. Matthew 6. Everybody knows this, but super important. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Everybody say things. That's the issue. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. That's the bigger issue. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, get your eyes off things and get it on the Father. He's given you the model, right? He's given you the win. He's given you the target. He's given you the place. Here's, here's the thing. We never chase signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are the overflow of people who are sitting with him. Right? The supernatural is not the target we're trying to hit. That's the overflow of sons and daughters who have figured out who they are in the presence of God and realize this is the model. And when I stay in this model and learn to do life in the rhythm, that is Jesus himself. Things come and I don't have to fight for it. I don't have to try hard. I don't have to do backflips. I don't have to wear the right clothes or eat the right salt. It's just Jesus overflowing into spaces. But if we make the moment the model, then we're going to be chasing the things. We're going to be chasing the movements. We're going to be chasing the stuff and be malnourished in our soul because we're still desperate for him. We sing it this morning. I am desperate for you. Man, I have, I have seen God move in signs and wonders and still been desperate for him. Why? Because sons and, signs, <laughs> sons, signs and wonders don't satisfy the soul. He does. And sometimes what we do is we, we try and promote the, the wonders of the Spirit and never actually develop the fruits of the Spirit. We get the formula right, but we forfeit the formation. And what happens in that environment is signs and wonders, even though they're cool and water comes from the rock, they're often junk food because we're malnourished in the fruits of the Spirit. Here's why they're junk food. Because they get us really excited. We like it. We celebrate it. It's awesome. Everybody's high on life. And then what happens? Crash. Whoo. And what happens when your blood sugar's up and down? After the crash, you've got to go find another Twinkie. Because you've got to get back up again. Right? And you eat it. And you're like, yeah, whoo, Twinkie time. And then you crash. And then you're on this roller coaster of junk food, and it's good stuff in moderation. Don't eat Twinkies all the time. Um, but good things sometimes are actually junk to our soul when they're the target and not Him. Because what it does is it leaves us going from movement to movement, word to word, prophet to prophet. It leaves us going from revival to revival. And at best, we get high for a few days, maybe a couple weeks, maybe for a season. But without ever replacing the moment or the thing with a model that is life in Jesus, it's only a matter of time before I crash and I need to go find the next movement. And this is where it's almost hard to develop uh, maturity in the body of Christ because everyone's always fleeing and leaving because they think God only moves in a certain place. Why? Because you're just looking for a thing. You're looking for his stuff. You're not content with him. Can I make a stupid statement that I haven't thought through? But I'd rather ask forgiveness and repent. You know one of the greatest hindrance to revival is revival. Why? Because we nail the culture, the formula. But then we're crashing all the time. Don't always see the fruit that comes with the Holy Spirit. You know that fruit, like the, 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 the model when it's in its proper place, the evidence actually isn't signs and wonders. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. 
And I've been in plenty of seasons where I've seen signs and wonders, but had zero peace, zero joy. And we're good at revival, but somehow not revived. It, 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 and hear my heart. I, I love revival, whatever. Let's throw people in the wall and stick them to it. I don't care. Like, that, that's not my argument this morning. Because um, here, here's the thing. Even in the most absurd, stupid, uh, formula-driven revival culture, God will still send water from the rock because he's gracious enough to meet you wherever you stopped. But do not assume that that's where he wanted you to be. He's always invited you further. He was inviting Moses to where he is. I want you to speak this time, Moses. Moses didn't do it. God was gracious enough to meet Moses where he was and allowed the measure of anointing to be on the strike again. But that is not how God wanted to do it. And God will still show up. So don't hear my heart wrong this morning. We don't overcorrect and just stop seeking the supernatural things of the Lord. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that's not what we're looking at if we're really seeking Him. But if we make the moment the model, we're going to jump from moment to moment to moment to moment to moment to moment because the model's still depleted in our soul. Because the model isn't a format, isn't a thing. It isn't a great worship service. It's not just a good... Parting of the sea, even though that's all awesome, it is him. And let me ask you this. When's the last time? Maybe it's this morning. But how often and when was the last time you just felt completely content just to be with him? It was enough. It was enough to just breathe him in. To sense his presence. I didn't need anything else in those moments. I didn't need him to prove himself. I wasn't thirsting just for water from a rock. I was satisfied with him. Last thought, and then I'm going to pray for us. The Lord says this. He says this to Moses because you didn't trust me enough to honor me as holy. When we make moments the model, it's one of the sure ways that we're going to struggle trusting the Lord. Because if we think we don't do it the right way, He's just not going to come. Or He's not going to use it. He's not going to show up. But it's actually a deep trust issue. What Guys, think about this. Church has looked a certain way for the last several decades just in this one community. How often do you dream about what will it look like for the next few decades? What if it's completely different? Do we trust him enough to let him shape it? That's just an example. But do we trust him enough to let him continue to write the story to mold this thing that ultimately belongs to him even if we borrowed it? Or are we stuck on the moments that have been? It's so often a trust issue to say, God, ah, I just didn't trust you were going to do it. So I struck it because I've seen you do it that way. I know it would work that way. 
I didn't trust you enough just to speak. Mm. Part of the model is trusting the Lord. You know that? Proverbs, everybody knows this passage. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Isn't that the issue, though, when we have a moment and maybe even get really good with our staff is we think we figured something out. We think we understand how it works. That's why we copy and paste it. But it says don't lean on your understanding. Why? Because that's a moving target. And what you think you understand right now, you don't even almost see correctly according to the Father's view. So if you lean on that, it's the definition of standing on a moment and making it the whole model. Because you think you figured something out. Lean not on your own understanding and always... All your ways submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. Trusting the Lord. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't take responsibility, even when God moves. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Does it bring health? Isn't this interesting? It'll bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Isn't that Interesting. That when he's everything, every layer of creation starts to respond. Unless you're eating those Twinkies, then you've got to figure some other Proverbs out. But Last thing before I pray is, this is the part where it seems like God's a little mean, but he, he's not. Don't let this moment become your model of him. He's not mean, but he tells Moses, because you didn't trust me, didn't honor me as holy, you're not going to lead these people in. Into where? To the promise, to this fulfillment of this thing, this journey that they're on, which is such a glimpse of our identity and the journey of faith that we are on to become who we already are in Christ Jesus. There's this wholeness, there's this fulfillment, there's this, quote, promised land that we're moving toward. And possibly one of the greatest hindrances to arriving and becoming is that we've stopped at a moment and made it the model. It's not actually a sin issue keeping you out. It's not the fact that you're not the best faith slayer in the world, the best Christian wizard. It's not because you don't know certain things. It's not, it's not any of those things. It's actually that just we, we stop knowing him when we camp around the one or two times that we've known him. So I don't know who says this phrase, but... Um, You've probably all heard it, but the greatest hindrance to what God wants to do is us not letting go of what he's done. It's a powerful moment. But we still have to let go and we still have to lean in and let him be the model. He's the target, not the stuff, not the thing. Signs and wonders, let me sum it up here. Signs and wonders are great. The Holy Spirit's cool. Moments are awesome. I pray all of our rocks burst open today with water, maybe even Gatorade. Um... But none of those are the target. None of those are the goal. He is. He's the model. Amen? Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us.
Father, I thank you that um, we sit in that context and that reality that you really are everything. You're the definition of who we are. God, I thank you that um, even in the moments where we do it our way, you're so faithful to still show up and send water. You're faithful to still bring a miracle. You're faithful to meet us there. But God, I don't want to stop there. I don't want to live with the idea that that's all that you are. That's how you're going to do it every time. I want to proceed with you. I want to know you. Every layer, God. And here's the trust issue, I pray. Um, Not just for Queen City Church, but just the church at large right now. God, I... I pray that as we learn to release moments back to you, let me say it this way, God, as we learn to let go of the formula for revival, I pray that revival would come. Not great church, the awakening of sons and daughters. Because we know that revival is not just a movement. It's the restored intent of the Father for us to be one. To be like you. So God, I pray that as we learn to let go of moments, celebrate the moments, rejoice over the moments, but God, may we never replace them with you. May we never replace them for you, rather. Here's the the big statement that we all have to land on every moment of every day is, God, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you when the formula is working and when it isn't. When the prayer of faith is healing and when it's not, I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Hey, as we dismiss, if you need prayer for anything this morning, we'll have some people up here. um, Encourage you to uh, utilize that. It's beautiful to walk with people. Other than that, be blessed. Have a great Sunday and stop eating Twinkies. I don't know. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.